Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Big show planned for you guys today. David Ubbin of The Athletic covering all things SEC has lived in Texas for a long time, has currently lives in Knoxville, has been there for a few years. Uh, so a very interesting perspective on what's happening with Tennessee, the Volunteers, the Kentucky game. We're going to talk a lot about that with him a little bit later on. Also A&M, though, because Texas A&M is a thing that we have to continually talk about. <laughs> where Where is the offense and a variety of other topics as it pertains or to the SEC? Or lack thereof. Yeah. Le- or- A&M or lack thereof. Exactly. So we will talk with David Ubbin a little bit later on in the program. All right. Here's a rundown of things we're going to talk about today on the show, Aaron. Don't tell me. Is is LSU now a contender? Why has Jaden Daniels evolved as a quarterback? Can Alabama, Mm -hmm. is Alabama going to lose another game the rest of the season? They bounce back accordingly. Ole Miss has been exposed, but we still need more data on the Rebels. Yep. I I already mentioned Texas A&M, just WTF. But more importantly, I think we're trying to come up with a a more interesting angle to A&M, which is what are the long-term effects of not doing anything if you're Jimbo Fisher, aside from just disappointing your fan base all the time. Uh, We will apologize. I, excuse me, I will apologize to one SEC head football coach that I need to apologize to personally, probably. You have, in your defense, you have flirted with apologizing to him before, but... I appreciate what I appreciate about you is that at every step along the way, you are apologizing again and again, every time you get more wrong about him. So there's respect (laughs) and holding myself accountable. So there's that as well. The beer barrel is out in full force. You got Kentucky and Tennessee and Knoxville. So we'll talk about that. The least important Florida Georgia game we've seen in quite some time, or at least in a year, we'll discuss that. And of course, Arkansas and Auburn, Uh, Some questions about Arkansas as a program Mm -hmm. and a compliment for Auburn. How about that? All of that today on the show here. Big show. It is a big show. Big show. What if we got on here? What if we got on here one day and we're like, we have a tiny, mediocre show planned for you guys today? It's always the biggest show. Uh, We have a. What if we were like, what if we were having like, we have a so so, like, could fast forward through it, like, tiny. Don't say any of these shows. We have know, a te- just... we have we have a Texas A and M offensive metric style show. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's always a big show around three point two yards per play. That's what we do here uh, <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> on the pod, we're a regular Haynes King run offense here on the we show. Are. Before before we do any of that, before we hear from David, before we talk all those things we just talked about, just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Fringe element is brought to you back. Brought to you by J E Dunn. Sponsoring not only Braden's wardrobe lately, um, but also one of the best places to work in the entire country. Um, they are actively hiring. So if you're looking for a new job, this would be a good time to jump on. I keep hearing a lot of recession talk, pretty depressing. Might be a good time to jump on with a company that's not going anywhere. With Listen, $5 billion in annual revenue. Yeah, that's exactly right. $5 billion in annual revenue. But most importantly, they care about their about employees. Their they care about their people. Culture, 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 culture. What do we preach on this show about head coaches in the SEC who are successful? Yep. I'm going to apologize to one today who's who's building culture. It is about people. Healthy, healthy, passionate, happy employees are productive employees. It's not a hard equation to understand. Not science. No, it's, it's, really not. It, it's not. And so many major companies don't get it. But J.E. Dunn is one that does. JEDunn.com. Tell them we sent you. You don't need any yes. 
You don't need any, you know, previous experience to go work at JE Dunn in any sort of category, walk of life. They will find a place for you. It doesn't matter what department it's in, they will find a place for you. And more importantly, if you if you just care about your career, you care about working hard, you care about being a part of a team, they will provide you the place to succeed. So jedunn.com. If you care about your career and you want people to care about your career, that's all you got to do. jedunn.com. Got it. Yeah. Okay. We good? Yep. <laughs> jedunn.com. I think there's actually a button right there that says careers. You can just click on careers. You go right there and you check it all out. So get you um, knowing about the website layout. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've gone. I've gone to the internet. I mean, you before. buttoned all the way up today too. Look at that shirt. Yeah, the collar. So like, okay, it's a great shirt. Love the collar. Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it is a great shirt. It's just like. Braden's got it like tied up pretty tight today. So here's the deal. I have a, I don't do it for fashionable reasons because obviously. Yeah, uh, and if because, you're watching, yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, go to the YouTube. We all see it. Go to the YouTube's. Blue. Go to the YouTube's <laughs> and uh, click on the buttons and the notifications and turn us on and share the show and watch the show. I, you know, I'm, I'm like in a haunted house today, so you can check it out. Uh, I, I have this, I have to do this thing now with polo shirts, like golf shirts. Because if you wear them too many times or too much, like the collars start to get like a little slouchy, you know, like, I don't know what the right, I don't know what the right fashionable term is for like when a collar kind of like drifts outward from your neck and it kind of gets a little flat and it doesn't look stretched out. Yeah. It doesn't look like uh, crisp and tight, you know, like you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good. And, uh, and so when you button it all the way up, you remove that variable, that messy variable. And while it may look a little weird. I still think it looks better than if it's all sloppy looking. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I didn't know that you were having that much trouble with your shirts. It's a personal. It's a personal problem. Okay. Don't don't worry about it. Yeah, got it. (laughs) Uh, Dave David Ubbin coming up. We'll talk Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, Georgia. We will apologize to one coach. What the hell? What are the long term effects of the decision making that's taking place at Texas A and M? Uh, because I think everybody's beaten that horse to death. Like we know that the contract is guaranteed. We know that the offense sucks. Like, but let's. Let's let's spin it forward a little bit uh, with Texas A&M uh, and then, of course, Bama and LSU, which is where we got to start. We got to start with LSU, man. Uh, yeah. Listen, listen to Jaden Daniels. So they went on the what was it? Forty two to six run after being down 14 to three. Yep. To, to Ole Miss. Here are Jaden Daniels numbers the last two games. So on the road against Florida and at home against Ole Miss, he okay. is f- 44 of 60 passing 73 percent. 597 yards, 9.9 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, no interceptions, 37 rushing attempts, 165 yards on the ground, and six more touchdowns. I I will accidentally make this case to David Ubbin later on in the show. Okay. This is Tennessee light. They are they have a good defensive line. They've got a quarterback who's starting to round into form. They've got weapons that can de- go down the field. Their secondary is not all that great They're but their quarterback is in, com- is now in complete control of the offense. Special, special two games for Jaden Daniels. And we're starting to see the old Jaden Daniels from like his freshman year at Arizona state. It appears that right. he is far more comfortable and the coaching staff is running the right plays with him now. A huge, huge two weeks for Jaden Daniels. Yeah, and I think we talked about this with LSU quite a bit, or I mean, at least on this podcast, about the concern not necessarily really ever being that the talent's there. It's like, what can you do with it? And as a first-year coach, 
you're trying to implement all these new systems. Obviously, Brian Brian Kelly had like a much different approach than some of the most the more recent LSU coach like coaches that have been in that top position. So it's how can you organize it? And it does take time. We talk about this all the time with the offensive line that things don't just fall into place right off the bat. And same thing with the new coaching staff and the entire program is just being able to give it time to fall into place. And if you have the weapons there, obviously things fall into place a lot more quickly. And we saw with with Jaden Daniels going off the way that he did, um, you also started to see because of the the way things are coming together, the puzzle starting to fit together, that you've got, you start to see the talent. There's like seven, seven different LSU receivers had multiple receptions each, no one more than four, but seven different, seven different tools in terms of catching the ball. Um, and Brian Kelly has talked about how he really wanted to see Jaden Daniels start to trust in those guys. And we definitely saw that this past weekend. Um, and, you know, Kayshawn did not have a bad game either. I think he had like hit uh, Jaden Daniels hit him like seven times. Um, and yeah, you just saw Ole Miss like kind of fall apart, especially with Jackson Dart just struggling with LSU's pressure and just missing throws. Well, and and no no Zach Evans, of course, for Ole Miss, which is a huge part of their running running attack. I think the thing we learned about right. Ole Miss is that we cannot trust Jackson Dart. Yeah, when he has to carry a game on his shoulders, which was the question about Jackson Dart again, under 55 percent completion percentage or less. Yeah, against Tulsa, Kentucky, Auburn, and LSU. Those are the four best defenses Ole Miss has played, mm-hmm. and he has had moments in those games where he just looked like. You know, not untrust like he's talented, but like untrustworthy in a big moment to have complete control. While when you look at Daniels, yeah, some of this is Mike Denbrock and the offensive coaching staff running a bunch of a bunch more RPOs, single read offense. Let him be more decisive and quick with his with his processes. Right. And and he is like he's more comfortable. The team is more comfortable with him. Like this is also why you pay a lot of money for someone like Brian Kelly. Like I like to, to coalesce all the pieces and to understand where, which levers to push and pull at what times, because now they figured out what Jaden Daniels is comfortable doing. They're Mm -hmm. doing more of it and they're doing it better. And that is to me, that is a sign of a veteran head coach. Who's won hundreds of games. Yeah, it definitely, it highlights too, when you're watching like someone like Jaden Daniels kind of, navigate and lead this team and then decide when he's going to use his legs and throwing very catchable balls all throughout the game. It kind of just brings more attention to the fact that Jackson Dart is not there. I do think it's interesting that LSU, LSU had 500 yards in total offense and Ole Miss had only 96 less than that at 404, which is really, really interesting because if you look at the score of this game and the fact that there's, you would not think there is only a hundred yards in difference on offense but Ole Miss just could not yeah. seem to make things happen when it came to actually putting points on the board. It's two pretty big offensive, ex- you know, performances from LSU yeah, I mean, against again. Yeah, people are quick to be like, "Oh, it's Ole Miss and it's Florida," and I'm like, "Well, okay, that's true," but se- almost ten yards a complete uh, an attempt, seventy three percent completion percentage, eleven total touchdowns, no interceptions. That's good against air number one. But, you know, on the road in the swamp against Florida, that's not like, you know, you're not playing like Austin P. Like that's, you know, and then Ole Miss, yeah, is a top, Ole Ole Miss was a top 10 team. Like you say what you want about maybe being overrated, which they were, but that's a top 10 team. So now LSU is a top 15 team. They control their own destiny. 
Alabama, meanwhile, handles its business. It is now 3-0 against Mike Leach. Nick Saban is, of course, uh, the total combined score in those three games for Mike Leach since entering the SEC for Mississippi State, which I still think is a good team, is 120-15. to So Nick Saban got right. Uh, but here's the thing. These two are both going to be off this week. They're going to play in two weeks in Baton Rouge. It's going to be awesome. I, I guess, uh, is it too... Go ahead, Aaron. I was just... No, no, you finish. And then I have one question about well, this before you move on. I was going to say, is it too reactionary to say LSU is going to be a factor in this race? Because now, they again, they control their own destiny. And if I'm a Bama fan, like I'm not worried about Ole Miss, but I'm worried about how I match up with LSU. Because again, LSU is sort of like Tennessee from a strengths and weaknesses standpoint. Quarterback that can run, very confident, big receivers, great defensive line that can pressure the quarterback. You know, their weaknesses are the same as Tennessee's weaknesses, and they're going to get Alabama at home. Like, I am I am this close to saying, like, I think LSU is going to win the game. Damn. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I do think that they should, Alabama should be, you know, definitely concerned about the matchup. Like you just said, I was, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I feel like I'm not quite ready to go there, but I definitely think it's going to be a better, way better game than either of us thought it would be if you asked us at the beginning of the season, because we didn't have a damn clue what LSU was going to look like. Do we feel like before we move on in a little bit less technical area here, is rushing the field a little much? For LSU? Yeah. Uh, Kind of. It felt like. You're kind of watering yeah. down the effect. Like Tennessee, Alabama, I know it looked fun and everyone's like, wow, they got great videos. Like we should do that. But it's, <laughs> that's not, I mean, that's, you that's won a national 50. championship in the last three years and yeah. then you're going to rush the field because you beat Ole Miss. It's like questionable. Yeah. I've, I've always, um, there's, there's a couple of rules I would put in place for like field or court storming. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a handful of them like in basketball, like you can't court storm during the NIT. Like you can't do that. Absolutely not. Can't do that. Um, really can't. Generally, it probably needs to be like a big upset. You need to be an underdog. Obviously, you're at home, so it has to come against a higher ranked team, which technically was the case against Old Mississippi. Um, but like they LSU was a favorite in that game. Like they were a two point favorite in the game. I know. So I think that the two rules that I think it violates. You tell me what you think. The two rules is you you can't have won a national championship in like the last fifteen years, ten or fifteen yeah. years. Like. Right. If you've won a natty in the last 10 or 15 years, you just don't ever get to storm the quarter field. And if you're favored, like I don't, if you're favored at home, you're supposed to win the game according to Vegas. Can, yeah. Favored. I don't know. It's, it's different when it's, you're knocking off a dynasty and it's, you're ending a drought that's been present for a long, long time. Like Tennessee, Alabama absolutely makes sense. They were this a 10 point, like, Tennessee was a 10 point underdog. LSU yeah. was favored to win the game. Like if you're favored and you've won the natty, you can't storm. This the doesn't make it as fun when it actually is time to rush the field. Everybody I chill agree. out. I agree. I agree with that. Now, if they beat Alabama, they'll probably rush the field again. So yeah. And then that'll make fine. more sense, but you'll, they will have wished they waited Alabama. Yeah. So, so you're sort of like upset curious then you're not ready to go like full transition into upset, but you're upset. I curious. think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm, Upset. I might be a little past curious, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say I'm. I'm going to take LSU. I don't think. No hormone treatment yet. Okay, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um. So I think I think it's going to be an awesome game. I think again. I think LSU is like mini version of Tennessee, and I think they're going to have the they're going to present some of the same challenges 
to Alabama in the certain spots that it matters. And I think it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, and all of this, of course, LSU is doing without their best defensive player, Mason Smith, who, again, we'll talk with David Ubbin a little bit later on about this, but he'll he'll go into more detail. So um, Ole Miss, on the other hand, they're sort of exposed, but like it doesn't feel as bad because this is what we expected. They did not run the ball very well. They still just need to continue to build depth and develop Jackson Dart. They are going to play Texas A&M, which we will get to in a second uh, this weekend, which is only like a two and a half, three point spread for Ole Miss on the road. But Ole Miss still has to kind of continue to prove itself. Like it's got like my issue with Ole Miss all along was it's hard to replace like era defining players and then continue to be as good at a program like Ole Miss that doesn't always quote unquote reload. And they had a really easy schedule. They got Auburn in a dysfunctional year. They were kind of lucky to be Kentucky. I, I, this could spiral. I don't think it will, but this could spiral with their schedule and a game against AM. So Ole Miss is just in like prove it mode every time out now at this point. For sure. And you touched on the depth. I mean, and that's definitely, especially on defense, Ole Miss is definitely lacking that. And then don't want to leave out that they do have some guys out. They're missing Troy Brown and AJ Finley. So they've got some, you know, it, it's they're, trying to make up for a little bit of the, the depth is not totally there. Um, and what it looked like on Saturday, which is something that a lot of teams have to, it's one of those battles that you kind of have to overcome each year. It doesn't necessarily just go away when you have it established, which is what a team's, how do teams play from behind and Ole Miss is looked like they hadn't done that. And honestly, it's because they really haven't. Right. They've only trailed twice all year. One was against Vandy at some point, which probably feels less scary than it would against another team because it's, you know, Vandy's going to run out of steam, especially with the way they are this year. And they trailed in the second quarter against Tulsa. So, like, a number, 420 minutes of football for Ole Miss all year. They've only trailed 22 of those minutes. And so most, And most of that was LSU? Um, or that was before LSU? That I think that was before LSU. Okay. They had make, played 420 not... minutes. They've only trailed by like 20, uh, 420 minutes of those 420. Yeah. So that's I think right. that's, it's, that's a, that's a, one of the intangible things is just what does a team play like from behind and something that I think teams kind of have to learn over and over each year. Um, and just going to have to see a little bit of grit out of them, but also just how are they going to fill in those holes, like depth holes on defense? I'm curious if things go sideways for Ole Miss. It's still like if they win eight games, I would still that still hits the Vegas over. That would still be considered yeah. a good season by any normal Ole Miss standards. Right. It's a step back from last year, but I think that was to be expected. If things go sideways, do you think that impacts Lane Kiffin's wandering eye at all? Like whether it's Auburn or Nebraska or the NFL or just whatever in general. Like, do you think that how they perform over the next few weeks? could give him insight into how difficult the job is long-term. If that Does that make sense, that question? It, no, that, that question does make sense. You mentioned Auburn and who else? Ne Nebraska or the NFL or any whatever. I, if I'm Lane Kiffin, there is no way in hell I'm leaving Oxford to go try to figure out the dumpster fire in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. And the I and I don't know this. I have not sat in the a room of boosters or donors or admin for either Ole Miss or Auburn ever, I have to imagine based on the culture of the school, it is much easier to be in that room with higher ups at Ole Miss than it is at Auburn. And Lane, even though Lane is a wild card, he has spent a lot of time 
building a culture there. We just don't see it as much as we do with some of the other schools. But he has spent a lot of time making sure that his guys are having open conversations, whether or not it's about race or equality, whether it's about sportsmanship, how to be a good teammate. Like, There's a lot of that stuff that goes on beyond, behind the scenes because we see him throwing clipboards. But there is stuff that's being laid in place. So I think he has a little bit more of emotional attachment than maybe we think Lane normally does. But I am not leaving Ole Miss to go to Auburn under any means from him. <laughs> no. No, um, it but it's, it's a serious it, contract. And even then, I don't know if I'd do it. Yeah. How, how to teach people how to wear long sleeve t-shirts underneath short sleeve t-shirts. Um, I, I think what's, <laughs> which is almost Thank as bad know. as my, my, my buttons right here on my shirt. No, it's, it's way worse. It, all right. Good. Um, I, it's all about the hierarchy. Like if he wants to be competing for national championships, you probably can't do it at Ole Miss. Like that's it. If you want to win a Super Bowl, you definitely can't do it at Ole Miss, but right. life is probably very good. If you are Lane Kiffin and you are posting winning records every year in Oxford, Mississippi, I yes, imagine I imagine life is pretty good. He, Not a lot of stress. Be, Not a lot of stress. It may get to a point where if he can't get over that eight, nine game situation and there's a big jump between eight and 10 or eight and 11, then maybe Lane starts to get wondering eyes. I don't see that happening right now. I just don't think there's an opportunity that's good enough. Yeah. And so on the other side, they'll play A&M this weekend on the road. Tough defense. Although AM's rushing metrics on defense aren't as good as you might think, mm-hmm. uh, their success rate, which is a concern because, again, we'll talk about South Carolina in a second. But I, I, AM, we know sort of all the bullet points, right? Like a, AM now losing record, four losses, three and four. This was supposed to be a year for them to build into what is supposed to be a championship run in 2023. Jimbo Fisher's guaranteed contract, the recruiting class, the summer tiff with Sabin you know, the lack of development on offense and quarterbacks, like blah, blah, blah. Like we know all of this stuff. One quick point, I would say it is Connor Wigman's job. Give him the job. He is the five-star freshman. Let him play the rest of the year and let's see. They may not have a choice, but let's see what he looks like. Let's see what he does because this is where we are now. So like why, why, why not learn about what he is and give him some reps? So I think that's number one, but number two, like what, 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 if, if he, (laughs) This is where I'm like, I'm thinking about our sponsor, J.E. Dunn, because you should all be thinking about our sponsor, jedunn.com. Like, make smart decisions. And Jimbo Fisher is entering a territory here where if he doesn't do something smart about his program and doesn't make a smart career choice, like going to J.E. Dunn, jedunn.com, and doesn't make a smart career choice, like, I think there are, you can start to see some longer term effects start to bubble. I don't think they're there yet, but. You look on the horizon of what's coming in this conference for a team in Texas and the way the portal works and the way this offense, like if, if he does not go hire a coordinator or let go of the offense, mm-hmm. just get out of his own way, put the ego aside. Yep. That, that there are some oper- there's there could be long-term ramifications for how other people view this program, namely recruits yes. and football players. Right. And, and, yeah, then- and where you're about to go with this. Which is, Braden and I, I mean, we talked about this briefly before we jumped on here, which is just, how does this change looking forward to the future with Texas coming into the conference? There, The thing, at the end of the day, because of this powerhouse that Texas is for high school football, how many five-star guys, big size, like sizable linemen, all, like all these very, very uh, talented kids coming out of Texas, which is also, I mean, 
and just due to the size of the state, you're always going to get, they're always going to be Texas kids that go to Texas schools. But the difference now is with the change in the transfer portal and not having to wait and being able to jump ship a little bit quicker. And you're seeing all these games on ESPN, on SEC Network every single week. Um, on one of the other large networks, it's everywhere. It's in your face. It's on social. You see holes, and you're like, okay, well, you know, before Texas, since Texas didn't end the conference yet, excuse Alabama, because you and I talked about this too, there's a gap at, in the receiving, like as at the receiving position at Alabama. Why do you not jump ship on an offense that's right or that's three and four right now that's not doing what you need it to do? It's not going to do give you the limelight you need, whether you're moving to a different school or a different, like a, in the NFL later on. And why are you not jumping ship? Now, that's just going to become even more competitive when you've got Texas with Steve, with Sark, with Steve Sarkeesian there, with a Manning there. Um, and it's still in your home state where your friends and family who watch you blow up the high school football field are going to be able to still travel and see you. I mean, it's it's going to get wildly more competitive for a number of reasons. I mean, there's... It, it to me, it's just insane. Like literally, the definition of insanity to just continue as they are doing. But because again, it's it's obviously that it's not working. We've joked about it now for weeks on the show. Like, go take some ayahuasca and wander around West Texas and go find right. Odessa. Go find Billy Bob Thornton at Odessa Permian and 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 scheme up some shit that you need to figure out. Change or if you're your, not into your drugs, just let Con just let Connor Wegman get reps. <laughs> well, and 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 again, just hire. Because you're three and four, you're not making a run on anything. Just no, no. And, and get David, your guy to have experience. On and, the field. and David Ubbin will say this later. Like they are foundationally still very secure. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's going to talk about like he's like Ubbin's basic take is that they are, and I don't want to steal his thunder here, but basically right. they're just they're an offensive coordinator away from being a pretty big program. And I don't necessarily disagree. But that requires Jimbo Fisher to get out of his own way. And right. but I do agree that this is an interesting point. Like if I'm Evan Stewart, I'm a five star wide receiver. Why would I like just languish in that offense? I'm mm -hmm. not going to make myself any more money at the NFL level. I'm not going to develop my skills as a player. Like I'm not going to showcase my talent. Like I'm nothing is good if I'm a, a star weapon on offense in particular. Why would I not go to Alabama? And I think you're dead on to say Texas, because the thing that A&M has over Texas right now is the SEC patch on the shoulder pad. Like yep, they can right. say, come play in the SEC. Right. But if Texas has the SEC patch and the offensive guru and yeah. the quarterbacks mm -hmm. and the offense in a state where all they run is seven on seven offenses and spread offenses, I don't. There are there is a long term recruiting play here. If I'm Texas or Alabama or Oklahoma that I'm making against AM every day, every day I'm selling this. Look how much garbage that is. Come play with us. We're going to be in the SEC in two years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's, you can, again, we'll always be able to recruit at both of those schools, but there's a lot more in state competition when Texas is there. Yeah. And something's got to change. And if you're stagnant, we talk about stagnation all the time as it relates to coaches, as it relates to athletic departments and programs and what it can do it can actually just completely suck the life out of you. You've got to make a change when you have enough evidence to know that there's it's time to make one. And there is offensively enough evidence right. Are we done with Fisher the to do something <laughs> just like there is enough to fire Brian Harson. Yeah, there's there's enough. I don't think we need any more evidence. Like we don't. It's not, it's not even worth talking about how bad the offense is. It's just. Here's the number. Here's the one thing I'll say. They have not scored more than 24 points 
in nine against nine FBS opponents. It's been it's been nine games since they have scored more than 24 points. That is a half of football. Tennessee scored a 50 burger. Now I know that was UT Martin, so it doesn't really count, but like yeah. they dropped a 50 burger at halftime. <laughs> I was teaching my five and six year old how to say they dropped a 50 burger, dad. Like I was teaching them how to say 50 burger and like they loved it. It was great. I'm sure they did. Texas A&M hasn't, and, and even the game they played this year where they scored 30, they scored 31 against Sam Houston State. 31. What was the final uh, Alabama-Tennessee? 52-49. So they put up 50 points on Bama. 52-49, yeah. Twice yeah. twice the number of points, over twice the number of points Tennessee put up on Bama this year than A&M has put up in however many games you just said. Nine games against FBS opponents, they have not topped 24 points. Half. Okay. I think I think we've driven the point yikes. home. Yikes, yikes. Okay. Um, listen, here's the deal. Jdun.com is our great and amazing and wonderful sponsor. Go to jdun.com if you would like to make a change in your career. If you need to change offensive coordinators and you need to remove yourself from this situation because it's gotten stale and you need to solve problems at work. Yep. The J Jay Dunn needs to have a sit down with Jimbo Fisher and tell them, tell the Aggie coaching staff, here's what how, here's how you need to do it. Here's how you need to approach it. Just get out of the way. Hire an offensive coordinator if you don't like drugs. Yeah, if you're not into ayahuasca, you need that. We took that's an interesting line we drew, isn't it? You need a shaman. If you're not into ayahuasca, you need to at least get your (laughs) J done or get your young five star quarterback more reps. They're they're paying they're paying us money for this, by the way. The direct line. Uh, If you can't see it, we can't help you. Jedun.com. Jimbo Fisher, make a smart career decision. And all of you listening, make a smart career decision and go to Jay Dunn. All right. Um, real quickly here, an apology. Got to apologize. Please do. So this is, I don't mean this to be a backhanded apology or compliment here. Is it going to be? I don't, I don't know. You tell me. Okay. I don't think South Carolina is particularly good at anything. <laughs> okay. Well, like, I don't think it's going to be that nice. Then. I don't think they're great at offense. The metrics say so. They're not great on defense. The metrics say so. They're not great against the pass or in throwing the ball. They're not great against the run or running the ball. They're pretty damn good on special teams, which his last name is Beamer. So, okay, that makes sense. But I will absolutely I don't I don't know why or how they're doing it. I, I don't know if it's culture. I don't know if it's the sunglasses. I don't know if it's the 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 shtick on the sideline when his team is losing by three touchdowns. He's very memeable. I don't know what it is he's doing, but they are going to get to bowl eligibility for the second time in two years at South Carolina. They're going to hit the over on win totals. They're going to overachieve two straight years. I don't think they have a lot of talent. They have more this year than last year. So I'm sorry. I am sorry to Shane Beamer. I am sorry to South Carolina fans. You guys, this is impressive stuff. You got a win over Kentucky, even without Will Levis. Don't care. Win over Florida and Auburn last year. And now went over Texas A&M at home where you led for literally every second of the game. I, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Braden's apology looks like y'all aren't good at anything, but I'm sorry. No, but I hear you. You tell me, what do you think they're great at? Tell me what they're great at. uh, You know what? (laughs) I just think that they're on the other side of what we, I mentioned this last week is that South Carolina has a way of playing I mean, not to say they haven't had blowout losses because they have, but there's a lot of times in South Carolina's in the not so distant past that South Carolina has hung with teams that they should not have been able to hang with and lost those close games. 
And then they've also, they played down to competition, whether it's Vandy or whatever. They're now just on the other side of all those games. They just couldn't close. It's like they played up to their competition and they always end up blowing it. But now they're just like figuring out a way to get it done. So they're, they're like, not great at football, but they're pretty good at football. Yeah, they just play close games and they used to lose and now they play close games and now they somehow figure out a way to win. I guess that's saying the same thing. I mean, they they do a lot of stuff that doesn't show up in box scores, in metrics. They 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 manage like you know, like uh like field position. They play a really smart field position game. They make you drive the length of the field. They make you settle for field goals. Like they do a lot of stuff that doesn't like it's hard right. to put metrics on. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Special teams, they're per- again, they're very good on special teams. I just, which again, his last name's Beamer. I, it, it, and again, this is not meant to focus on w- why they're doing what they're doing. I, I would argue, who cares? If you're a yeah. South Carolina fan, who bleeping cares? Yeah. If you're, if you're talking to, if you're listening to my analysis from the preseason where I'm like, I'm not buying it. I don't think Rattler's that good. I don't think this and that. I don't think that. And they're not going to hit their, they're not going to go to a bowl game. Like, who cares? Shove it in my face. Tell me to yeah. tell me to fuck off. Like I was wrong and I apologize. It so a big part of South what's been wrong with South Carolina too and I understand this very it's a very close topic to my heart because of the teams that I was raised on which is just not easy to do. But South Carolina is notorious for shooting themselves in the foot with stupid penalties with making stupid mistakes. And they haven't been doing that. They didn't do that this weekend. They ran the football. They made like whatever necessary defensive stands they needed to make when the time came around. And they just didn't do careless, stupid stuff. And maybe maybe they were doing more careless, stupid stuff than we realized before. And just chain, just being able to pull out some of those dumb penalties, um, you know, gave them much more of a platform to like win these close games than we thought. Just made a, I, I don't know exactly here- what it is, but. And here's the it's other not thing. Dumb errors. Because we talked to him in the summer. Go check out our interview. And and he gave us, he gave you, I think he gave you a great answer about, you know, the he doesn't, he, he wasn't a he wasn't a play caller. He was never a play caller. He's never a head coach, doesn't have an experience. And he gave us a great answer about like, well, just because you can call a play or a great, you know, defensive or offensive coordinator doesn't mean you have the same skills to be a great head coach. And right. that like you can make fun of him for the shtick and for all the meme ability. Like he's very memeable. You can make fun of that all you want to, but at least it's at least he's having a good time, and I think it's more importantly, I think it's genuine. I think it really is. Like when he does this, the TikTok thing at SEC Media Days with the sunglasses. Like I think he really is trying to have fun and like ma- let his players have fun with him. Yeah. And if and if Mark Stoops wants to talk shit and then he beats you, like sorry, dude, you got to take your loss. Like you got to wear the L. And I'm yep. okay with I'm okay with a little Spurrier coming back into the SEC. Like I'm. Yeah, we, we, if we have a little bit more fun watching football, like, is that a bad thing for people? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm I am slowly being converted into a Shane Beamer, uh, not not even a believer, just like an appreciator of Shane Beamer. He started with the players and it seems to be working. That was his highest priority <laughs> when he got in there just to make sure that everyone was on the same page. His Players felt appreciated. He spent time understanding them and people. It's still a game of people. So just that's what it. he's doing. Yep, I agree. Be a regular person with your players. Josh Heupel, yep. Sam Pittman, Mark Stoops, Shane Beamer. It's okay to have fun when you win. It's okay to troll a guy when you win. It's okay to act stupid or silly. It's okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I think he really, really means it. And he's very genuine about it. I don't know if they're going to win a beat Tennessee or Clemson or win a national championship. I don't. I'm not. No one's picking that. But like for now, I'm sorry, South Carolina. You were right. Your coach is doing work. 
and you're going to go to a bowl game two years in a row when no one thought you could. Yep. Like, who cares about everything else? Just enjoy it and have fun. That's what I would yep. say. Absolutely. Go Cox. Yes. Uh, yes. Old, old Cox commander there. Cox commander in charge. <laughs> uh, go Cox. Uh, all right. Kentucky, the barrel, the beer barrel, Kentucky and Tennessee. We'll talk a little bit about this with David Ubbin. Of course, he lives in Knoxville, has been around that program for a long time. So we'll talk about this. I just want to throw out a couple of stats here. I do think that Kentucky is uniquely qualified to make this an interesting game. And we will talk about Florida and Georgia and Arkansas and Auburn after we hear from David Ubbin. So stick around for a couple of thoughts on one of the most important cocktail parties of all time. Uh, but the beer barrel, I think Kentucky has got an opportunity to make this a tricky game. I, for some reason, I think there's some pride on the line in this one, too, for Kentucky. Statistically, the only three times they have won since 1984 were on against a Mark Stoops beat a three and seven Jeremy Pruitt team where he mm -hmm. got fired. They beat a four and eight Butch Jones team in 2017 that that got Butch Jones fired mm -hmm. and they won 10 to seven against Derek Dooley in 2011. So even when Kentucky football has been great, their three wins are Dooley, Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt, two of which got fired. All of this says that Tennessee should roll big. The point spread has exploded. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they stop Tennessee. But there's something about this game that I got spidey senses tingling saying there's going to be a long stretch of this game where I think Tennessee fans are going to be very nervous. I think Kentucky's going to play well. For sure. I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, they should be getting they should be getting Cedric Tillman back. Right. So that should be like that at some point, <laughs> some point. Hope. I mean, hopefully, if you're a ball, it's it's now. And then that's going to you know, put Kentucky secondary in a little bit more trouble um, if that is the case. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I, I'm i interested to see exactly how they match up against each other, but they've got uh, two very strong arms in both of these quarterbacks and Hendon Hooker and Will Levis. So um, it should be, I don't know what the actual predicted score is. What did you say the spread was? Did you already say it? it well, it, it, I think it started at like seven, but it has gone up to like 11, 12, 13-ish. So okay. I, I I think Kentucky has really smart defensive coaching staff. They've got a good defensive line. And I think they have a they have a star quarterback potentially, and they've got some nice weapons that can attack Tennessee's state uh, corners. Mm -hmm. I, I I would like Tennessee to cover and to pull away in the fourth quarter. I don't think it's close. I I think they get their their 40 points or whatever. But I just think there's gonna be a long stretch of this game where it feels basically even. If yeah. that if that makes sense, like I don't, it does. I'm not. There's not going to be a moment where I think Kentucky can win this game, but I do think that there's going to be a big chunk of it where we're like, mm, wait a second, this is this Kentucky team is pretty established, pretty good. Right. They're not. They're not just a bunch of pushovers. Like this is not. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a. No, I mean, well, in Kentucky, also, it's not just like they're more versatile in terms of what we've seen for Kentucky on offense in previous years, which is they do have like some tools at the receiving position and they've got a quarterback that can get the ball there. So I do think it's, it sets it up to be a better matchup. I'm with you. I don't think Kentucky will come out on top of this game and I think Tennessee will probably cover. Um, but I do think it'll happen late. Like you said, I think it'll be close till the end. Yeah. I, I think so as, as well as it, uh, as the weather here in Nashville <laughs> makes my, my studio very dark. Um, yeah, if you're watching on the YouTube, uh, the weather is getting ominous outside. Um, uh, here's the other thing. Georgia's next week. So if you're Tennessee and you are at all overlooking this team, 
a team that you have won all but three times since 1984, this would be a bad time to overlook somebody. Yes, it would. So Georgia's ahead next week. Just keep that in mind. This is why Bama and LSU always have a bye week <laughs> before they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're looking ahead, this is where the, the culture and the trust and all that stuff for Hypo is going to play a role. They were up for Alabama, played well. They were up for Florida, played well. You know, they came out slow against Pitt, but they were up for that game. You know, they've been up for all the big games. So let's see if they stay up uh, for this Kentucky game. The beer barrel needs to come back and be a thing, by the way. It needs to be a real thing. We need a yes, real trophy. I know why it wasn't. It's it's sensitive for certain folks. I get it. Uh, but uh, just div- if you don't know what I'm talking about, just do some Googling. Um, all right. So let's let's hear from David Ubbin. He has a lot more to say about Kentucky, Tennessee. So let's hear from David Ubbin. When we come back, we'll touch on the cocktail party, Arkansas and Auburn. We have a compliment to give Auburn. How about that? We'll do that. Uh, but before we do, here is our conversation with the athletics, David Ubbin. The host of Football and Grits, national columnist for The Athletic, reporter covering college football, a man who will literally go the extra mile in wingtips for his audience. David, I've been joining us here on the show. David, how are you, sir? What's up, man? Still recovering from uh, walking all over Tennessee's campus, chasing goalposts and dress shoes. But uh, no, I'm doing good. It's been uh, a fun season uh, full of surprises and uh in tennessee's case a lot of uh you know good surprises and it's the energy around here is is palpable uh and and it's been weird because last year you know they were kind of in that middle where they aren't really good enough to be interesting or bad enough to be interesting and this year it's kind of been like a big spotlight we're doing a ton of tennessee stuff this year so it's been fun man yeah and as someone who went to college there there's a lot of hills uh literally they're called the hill (laughs) so so there you go um uh, so you are part of the reason i wanted to have you on is just i I love your insight but also you have a unique perspective on both the state of texas and of course the 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 place that you currently live you're not technically on the knoxville beat anymore but you do live in knoxville and so you're around Mm -hmm. you're around the people you're a man in the people and so i'm (laughs) i'm curious what the last two because you said it's palpable the energy's there georgia game coming up in two weeks they got kentucky at home this week tennessee does and we'll talk jimbo we'll talk lsu but i i just have you you've been there through the pruitt era you've lived there for a while just like the nausea and the anxiety now is gone because of the florida win and the alabama win so now it's different it, it, does it feel like house money does it feel like a party does it feel like animal house like what does it feel like it's hard to say exactly kind of where they're at because I think now that they've had kind of a week and a half after the Bama game, I think people are kind of dreaming a little bit. Um, and so there's that, that kind of nervousness around Kentucky because Kentucky can ugly things up a little bit. Uh, so you kind of sense a little bit of that. And I think it's just an unfamiliar place for Tennessee to be because in some ways they are house money because they have, you know, uh, exceeded expectations by by so much already but then at the same breath you don't know how many bites you get at the apple and tennessee is very seriously knocking on the door of the playoff and they don't have to do anything spectacular to get there they already did the spectacular they beat alabama uh so if you beat georgia certainly that uh all but assures you a playoff spot um but at this point you know if you beat kentucky you beat south carolina you're probably sitting there at the end with a really good case and so you know that's easier said than done. Kentucky's a good team. South Carolina's winning some ball games, and the reality is that Tennessee has not played a ton of games over the last decade, where they had everything to gain, literally, yeah, or nothing to gain 
and literally everything to lose. And that is a weird spot for them to be in. So ultimately there's a ton of excitement. And I think, you know, when you just talk to people, obviously, you know, I live in Knoxville, neighbors, friends, a lot of people that are really big Tennessee fans for most of the Pruitt era, when you'd bring it up, it'd be kind of a groan or kind of a, "Ah, you know, we'll see. And now everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. (laughs) Everybody wants to talk about, uh, you know, people are still talking about the Alabama game. Oh, this is the best night I've ever had watching football and all that stuff. And so, you know, it's fun because this place has been so starved and has wanted success so bad. And it's just, it's really an interesting spot to be in because not only do they get success, but they're getting it right now when no one really expected it quite to this level. And yeah. for one, yeah. even Josh Heupel's arrival, people were kind of wait and see. Nobody was throwing a guy a parade when he got here. And then coming into the season, I thought Tennessee was one of the 15 best teams to start the season. I was surprised they weren't ranked. But they weren't ranked coming into the year. And now you're sitting here with a very real chance to make the playoff. And it's, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of surreal. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me, and I think you see Belichick do this in the NFL, but the but but they're, the Vols are about to face arguably the two best defensive coordinators not named Saban on their schedule. I know Pat Narduzzi and that defensive line for Pittsburgh were very good. And mm-hmm. LSU's, LSU's defensive line is very good. But Stoops and Kirby Smart just have sort of a different intellect when it comes to defensive scheme. And I don't expect Kentucky to be able to win, but I think there's going to be long stretches of the game where it's going to feel like Kentucky has figured something out on defense. And I don't know about you, but the knock on Hypel system has always been it's a fairly simple system to figure out. W- what is is it just Hooker that's special? Is it the weaponry that's special? Is it that they haven't played Georgia yet? What what is it about like what is the key to unlocking the defensive approach to Tennessee, if that if that makes sense? Or is there not one at all? Or or is Kirby Smart just gonna be watching Mark Stoops all all weekend? Well, you have to have athletes. I mean, I've, I've covered this system for a decade or so, going back to, to Art Briles and, and Baylor and my time in Texas. So I'm very familiar with kind of how this all works. And, and it does start with the run game up front. But it, to, to de- succeed in this system, you need, I think the number one thing you have to have is a ton of speed on the outside. And obviously you see that with Jalen Hyatt. You see that with Bruce McCoy. They worked Jalen Hyatt out of the slot some. Cedric Tillman is pretty fast, but he's also just a guy that can just beast and, and, and go over people. So you got to have that receiver talent, um, guys that are fast and, and bigger guys can help as well. Um, you got to have a pretty good offensive line up front, big guys that can, can push the pile and, and Tennessee has got those. And then the quarterback stuff, you know, part of it is decision making, but, a, but more of it, I think is downfield accuracy because the defense has to respect, Hey, we've got to be careful because they can burn us over the top. And Tennessee obviously can do that. Hennon Hooker has has given himself the ability to do that. I think you saw that early last year that Joe Milton could get it out there and he had <laughs> opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of scheming guys open. And if you can't hit them, that's a problem. But when you got a guy who can hit them, all of a sudden you've yeah. got the front runner for the Heisman there. So you have to have athletes defensively schematically. You have to have athletes up front that you can stop the run with five maybe six guys in the box and so when you have really good defensive linemen and linebackers that can take away the run and that's a lot well that's a lot of what Pitt was able to do is keep everything in front of them and then take away the run don't give them six seven you know get them into some third and long get them out of out of rhythm make them play get them in predictable situations because it's a lot of rpo as well and when you get in the rpo situation that's that's a problem uh for defenses when you get them in really awkward positions so 
it's basically if you don't have the athletes, you're going to get torched. We saw that with South Carolina last year. We saw that with Missouri last year. Obviously, UT Martin when Tennessee can get on top of people. This is an offense that's built to score 60 and 70 if they have if they play teams that, that are not ready for it. So schematically, you have to be sound. You got to have corners that can run. Uh, you got to because you got to have to play some man. You can't just zone it up uh, all day uh, on this because they're going to scheme it. I think we saw that with Bama losing Jalen Hyde out of the slot repeatedly. Um, so you do have to play some man against this, a lot of man press if you can got guys who can stick. So there's no secret sauce. I mean, I think that's the thing with defensive coordinators is I don't think that anybody's at this point when you have a system that's been around this long that, what, 13-something teams run it, defensive coordinators know how to stop it, right. but you have to actually do it. It's like stopping the pick and roll. Everybody knows how to stop the pick and roll, but if you run it well and you have really good athletes and really good players running it, it's really difficult. And that's where Tennessee's at. They've got a good offensive line. They've got good backs. They have unbelievable speed at receiver. And they got Hennon Hooker, who seems to know exactly when to run, when to extend plays. The game seems to move slowly. And then when guys get over the top, he's hitting them. And so when you got all those things mixing together, it's just very, very difficult. So there's not some secret sauce to right. stopping this. It's a matter of having to execute, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from every coach in college football history. Yeah, it's not It's not like we didn't know what Carl Malone was going to do when, yeah. when Stockton gave him the ball. Like, we know. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I think it's, it, it really is very similar, I think, to, uh, you know, in the NBA running the high pick and roll type stuff yeah. because yeah. – You know what Curry's going to do. <laughs> it doesn't – yeah, it doesn't matter if you – you know, at the end of the day, it is a pick your poison thing. If you go over the top, you know they're going to dump it down or go by you. If you try to go underneath the screen, right, right. they're going to pick it pop. Like, it's – there, there's not a there's not a, a a secret scheme you can do to stop this offense. You got to so, be good defensively. So Kentucky's won this game three times. I want to move on to Texas A&M and a few other things, but Kentucky's won this game three times since 1984. Mm-hmm. All three of them were against very bad Tennessee teams that got Butch Jones fired, that got uh, Jeremy Pruitt fired, and it was the year before Derek Dooley got fired. All three of them were ugly games, really bad Tennessee teams, <laughs> losing record. In fact, two of the worst Tennessee teams of all time. Do, does Kentucky have the athletes? Because even even when Kentucky has been good, Tennessee has been able to beat this team, even when they have ten win seasons and Mark Stoops has got it rolling. Do they? I know Levis on the other side is going to cause some problems down the field. Mm-hmm. I especially think with 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 Barry on Brown, the freshman, I think is going to create some matchup problems down the field. But does every like do they have the dudes on defense to do the things you're talking about? Uh, no, <laughs> but. I think the, the the road for Kentucky to win this game is not oh they're going to shut down Tennessee's offense. The road for Tennessee's game to, to, for Kentucky to win this game is for one you slow it down, you limit the possessions. Obviously, I think last year Tennessee ran forty seven offensive snaps against Kentucky. They averaged about seventy to eighty this year. Um, so you know some of that last year was hitting some big plays and they had a kick well they only turn. had like didn't they only have like fourteen minutes time of possession or something and yeah but I look more at plays time of possession okay, right. you know they no like no coach that runs the system cares at all about time of possession plays if your defense is facing ninety plays that's a problem if your offense is running fifty plays that's a problem yeah, so more yeah. time of possession is sort of total plays but the side besides that the way Kentucky wins this game is you get a subpar performance from the offense you know Hooker misses a couple throws maybe you force a turnover. But for Kentucky, the key to slowing down the offense is in their offense because I think they have the capability. You know, Tennessee's got a really stout uh, run defense right now. I think they're in the top 10 nationally in defensive yards per carry. But if you can establish the run with Chris Rodriguez, who's, you know, really, really solid, and you can protect Will Levis, uh, Kentucky is very, very bad at protecting the quarterback right now. They're 
you know, one of the worst teams in the country at protecting. You got to protect him. But Tennessee is not good at corner. They're okay at safety, but their corners are really below average. And you got Barry on Brown and you got Tavion Robinson and you got Will Levis who can get them the ball. And if he can hit some balls over the top, I, I don't think this is going to be like a, you know, a 50 to 40 game kind of similar to last year, just because I think that Kentucky's going to slow this down a little bit, um, but they're going to hit some big plays, I think. And, and Tennessee, you know, Tennessee needs a, a B plus game to really win this thing without needing anything spectacular. But for Kentucky, like I said, I think you've got to slow it down, limit possessions, you know, uh, be able to run the ball, which is, I think the biggest, if, if Kentucky can run the ball and average four or five, six yards of carry, they're going to be okay. But if, if, if Tennessee can stuff the run, I think that really is the key to this ball game because if they yeah. can stuff the run and they get Kentucky into these pass positions, Tennessee is the best team in the sec, a top 20 team at pressuring the quarterback. Kentucky cannot protect Will Levis. So if it, Tennessee can run away with this, if they can get them in some bad situations. But for me, Kentucky's got to slow it down, be able to run the ball and hit those balls down the field to, to Brown and Robinson. If they can do that, you know, this could be a dangerous spot for Tennessee. I, I think one of the key positions is going to be first and 10. If Chris Rodriguez is getting the ball and he's getting five, six, seven yards and they're in second mm-hmm. and short, second and short is when you take those shots. And that's when you put them in a really dicey situation on defense. Rodriguez is going to, ha- is going to have to be massive in this game. There's no question. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to your, to your former stomping grounds back over in Texas. And and I want to talk, I want to talk LSU in a second, but uh, Texas A&M um, three and four, this was supposed to be the build year. If you to the championship caliber team in 2023, clearly they've regressed. Um, we all know about the contract. I, I just, I, I think this is, I've said this on the show now for weeks. I just think Jimbo Fisher needs to take some ayahuasca with Aaron Rodgers and like walk around West Texas or something and like find out what they're doing in high school. Um, is this a permanently broken thing? Is Jimbo Fisher overrated because of Jameis Winston? Is this a a situation where they're a couple of tweaks away from finding a solution? Is it Connor Wigman time permanently to see what you've got? Like what what are the right questions to be asking about Texas A&M right now? This may be naive and this may be, uh, you know, wishful thinking from an AM perspective, but I really think they're, they're an offensive scheme change away from being a juggernaut. I just think this offense, it's not the play calling. It's not the talent. Evan Stewart's really good. I think Haynes King, Connor Wigman, they're good enough. I think they can win you some ball games uh, at the end of the day, but the scheme is bad. Like, right. The scheme just does not free guys up. Uh, in space, they've got you know obviously Anais, uh, you know, Anais Smith has been injured, but uh, you know Devin A. Chain, he's a guy that they've got some special players, and Evan Stewart, you know, is obviously a, a hugely talented freshman. They have not been able to scheme those guys and get them down the field, get them open, you know, get those backs in space, um, and 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 be able to 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 protect and get them uh, balls downfield. They're just not explosive, and in, and uh, how many times you have to see it. You know, in the SEC, the last two or three years, you got to score points to win in this league. There are going to be nights when you're going to have to score 40. You just will. Uh, And if you can't on any given night against anyone, you can lose to a lot of teams. You can lose to an App State. You can lose to South Carolina. And that's what we've seen uh, from from Texas A&M. They look a whole lot like uh, the Pruitt era Tennessee right now, honestly. like (laughs) uh, They have much better athletes on defense. But just the offense is ugly. It's not Iowa, San Diego State ugly, but it's a barely a step above. Um, and so again, I, you know, I think one thing that that, that uh, I've talked about this week is people want to talk about 
the contract and uh, and the buyout and $86 million and you can't fire him. The issue is not that you can't fire Jimbo Fisher, because I don't think you should. I don't think you should even have those conversations. The issue is that you have no leverage to make him do what is probably best for him that he might not think is best for him, which is maybe take your hands off the offense a bit, go to a more of a CEO role. Now, I'm not saying you have to hand over the offense entirely, um, but bring in somebody with some new ideas and do those kind of things. If I was him, I probably might consider handing the offense off entirely and doing something else completely. Because I'm telling you, regardless of, of whatever happens, if they continue down this road where it's just Jimbo kind of banging his head against the wall with the offense, they might have some good seasons down the road. They'll never yeah. Yeah. win a national championship, which is what he was hired to do. It will not happen with this offensive scheme. And so I, I think they're one scheme change away. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but they're just, you know, this is the same team that I think what they're sitting there at fourth in the 24 seven sports talent composite, the best yeah. recruiting class in the country. And the problem that you start running into too is if you start doing this stuff where you're banging your head against the wall uh, and you're in a really frustrating spot in the portal era, you're going to start losing some of these guys. And then all of a sudden you're not quite as talented as you were. And you're going to be running a bad scheme on top of that. And it just declines, declines, declines. Yeah. And then eventually somebody's going to cut that check and you're going to have wasted <laughs> a lot of time and a lot of money. I do think, and this is a very undercovered part of this equation because the defense has not been the issue. We all focus on the offense, but Mike Elko is doing a pretty good job at Duke right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a, a tiny, small, little additional just layer of, of things for Texas A&M to have to deal with. At LSU, you know, the big run against Ole Miss. The last week, the question was, is Ole Miss for real? Well, we'll find out. I think the questions are now, is, is LSU for real? Now, I'm, I'm curious what do you think they are they are doing differently with Jaden Daniels? Because the last two weeks, the numbers are, you know, 73% completion percentage. He's got 800, 900 yards of offense, 800 yards of offense, 11 touchdowns total, no interceptions, 73% completion percentage. What is it that LSU is doing differently? Is it just time in the system? Is it Daniels maturation process? Uh, and is it something that that can give Alabama some trouble here in two weeks? I think some of it is confidence, you know, early, especially you go back and watch that Florida State game, you know, and even really the first month of the season, he just looked not comfortable. You know, if the first read wasn't there, you know, he was going to take off and you know, maybe get you five or six yards, take a shot and then sort of slowly get up and deal with that. What we've seen the last couple of weeks is one, the running threat is still there, but when those windows are open, he's delivering it and, and, when you have a lot of confidence as a passer, you know, not only are you have the confidence to pull the trigger on throws like that, um, you, you can hit it. Uh, he's obviously got the talent to do that. We've seen that the last couple of weeks and he probably did have the talent early in the season, but whether it was comfort in the system, whether it was a lack of confidence in himself, he wasn't pulling trigger. He had guys open and he wasn't getting them the ball. Um, you know, I think you look at, at Kayshawn Booty coming back and, and doing some things, Malik neighbors, they've got some really nice receivers, mm -hmm. some really good players, and he wasn't getting on the ball, and now he is, and you're kind of seeing LSU come into their own. And, you know, uh, this is uh, this is why you pay people like Brian Kelly, who's got 10, 10-win 10 seasons. Uh, you know, he's coached some football, and this is a team that has improved a lot. And people forget, you know, one, not only did they lose a ton in the portal uh, and replace it with some, but still a net loss. They also lost Mason Smith, who's a borderline All-American defensive yeah. tackle up front the first week of the game, uh, first week of the season, and, and their defense has held up pretty well. And so it's just an impressive bounce back for them because I, I thought Tennessee was going to expose them and they did. And I kind of wrote LSU off after that. I said, okay, this is the kind of six, seven win team that I thought LSU was. 
and for them to come back and and beat Auburn as as uh, soundly as they did, and then uh, obviously Ole Miss. That's the Ole Miss is the win that really made you sit up and and take notice that hey LSU is better than than I think yeah. I thought, and I think a lot of people thought, and and uh, you know that's that's forty two to three over three quarters against that Ole Miss team is is unbelievable. Well, and and it's not to compare them to Tennessee because they got destroyed, but they are Tennessee light, athletic quarterback with a lot of ability, protects the football. Uh, really good defensive line that likes to get after the quarterback questions in the secondary, good weapons at receiver. Like it's kind of a same similar version than Tennessee, but just less than. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I did tell your boy Brody this, by the way, in the preseason, Mason Smith grades out so high, they had to give him two A's. Okay. So you need to, <laughs> you need, you need to use that. Uh, just make sure he cites his source. Make sure he <laughs> cites his source. Right. Make sure he cites his sources. Um, J- Florida, Georgia, least interesting cocktail party of your lifetime. My lifetime, our lifetimes. Uh, I mean, last year was pretty uninteresting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I, uh, it's hard to know what to make of Georgia because I generally think they're probably the best team. Maybe it's hard to know because they just have like <laughs> a lot of, con- a lot think, of conviction there, Dave. <laughs> well, they probably have the highest ceiling, but they have just looked really just not scary. And I think it's kind of unfair for Georgia because you're always going to kind of compare them to last year. And the defense was such an absolute behemoth last year. And, and the defense is merely one of the best in the country this year now. So it's like <laughs> you're kind of downgrading them probably unfairly. So, you know, we'll see. The offense has just been weird. I mean, ultimately, when you let Missouri take you to the brink, it's kind of hard to say, oh, Georgia's got this yeah. against anyone. And Anthony Richardson is a really special player. But I think – Georgia can be able to lock him down, uh, take away his legs, and then make him, you know, be uh, a, a strictly a passer. I think they can do to him what they did to Bo Nix uh, in, in the first week of the season. So we'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's going to take Anthony Richardson being Superman to make that game interesting. And uh, against Georgia's defense, I'm not sure we're going to see that. Uh, do we all owe Shane Beamer an apology? I do. People really don't like Shane Beamer, man. I don't I, – like, Why? I think – well, I think, I don't know, maybe just people are haters. Listen, enthusiasm and caring about things and being happy when your guys do good, when your players do good things. I, I you know, Listen, it's fine. Like, you should be able to have fun. And I think just because his team's not that scary and he, uh, you know, is very demonstrative on the sideline, people like to make fun of him. But he's the same guy sitting there. Yeah, he's sitting there at five and, <laughs> sitting there at five and two right now, looking in great shape. They got a split between Missouri and Vanderbilt just to get to a bowl. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, beating Kentucky, you know, without Will Levis, but still beating them, beating Texas A&M. Like, listen, I, I, I said this week, South Carolina is an interesting spot because they're good enough to beat you, but they're not good enough. Or, but they're also average enough that when you lose to them, it's like an existential crisis for everybody that loses. <laughs> like last year when they beat Florida, I thought they were going to get Dan Mullen fired immediately. Uh, I think that was scored at the beginning of the end. But man, ultimately that team's gotten better. And yeah. Shane Beamer just sort of gets his guys. There's a lot of belief there. A lot of good vibes emanating from that program. Yeah. And they've got, you know, beyond once you get that Missouri and that Vanderbilt, I think beat one of those two teams, which I suspect they will beat both. Man, 
They get Tennessee and they get Clemson to close the season. And boy, they <laughs> they have a chance to absolutely just ruin a couple seasons. And uh, oh man, the the consternation and hand wringing if they could beat either one of those teams will be off the charts. Well, and I'm not even apologizing about his shtick or personality or the nepotism or whatever. Like I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like I just didn't think they were gonna be very good at football. And they've been better. Be and okay. they've been much better. I, they've been much better than I thought. So yeah, I thought they'd be a fringe bowl team, um, but for them to be sitting here, what tied for third in the East, going neck and neck with Kentucky with the yep. tiebreaker. Yep, it's impressive. I mean, at the end of the day, last year their roster, especially at quarterback, I mean, they for them to get to a bowl game and win it, that was some duct tape and twine stuff. They're much more talented this year, um, but uh, you know, Shane Beamer's had two years as a coach. And barring some sort of disaster, he's going to have overachieved in yep. first both of his first two yep. years. What I don't know what more you can ask for. So uh, impressive stuff um, from Columbia, and you know I think uh, people can people can mock away, and they're going to be sitting in bowl games again, and and people feel and good about their program. If you want to mock him, he's going to come right back at you. So just be ready. Just just be <laughs> That's ready. That's true. I, which the, I love. Uh, so. The 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 shot at, at Mark Stoops. Oh, it's great. The, uh, was great. fantastic. Like again. Like to the victor go the spoils, and I think I think one thing that annoys me in this sport more than anything is it, for a lot of places, man, it seems like winning is a relief and losing is a crisis. Like winning should be fun. They have fun when they win. Yeah. Uh, you know, dancing in the locker room, you know, celebrating. Like yep. it's supposed to be fun, and he seems to enjoy it. So props to Shane Beamer. Well, uh, keep up the good work, my man. Great stuff at The Athletic. You can listen to him on Football and Grits. You can read him all over the website there. Lots of great stuff, doing good work. Uh, everybody out there pay for good journalism, of course. That's why we have so many great guests from The Athletic on the show. David, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Enjoy the Kentucky game this weekend. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it, man. Anytime. That was one of my favorite columnists in college football, David Ubbett, formerly covering the balls, now covering college football in the SEC for the Athletic. If you have not read the story about the goalposts and how they ended up in the river and him walking all around campus and downtown in dress shoes for like two hours after the game, it is a extremely well-written piece. And uh, he told me, and I believe this, he had this story planned before the game. That he was really? going to that he was going to follow the goal. That is that is good. That is a good reporter right there. Yes, it so is. Got to be prepared. He is very very good he at just his wore job. The, so he wore the wrong shoes for having done that much preparation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why not have Why not have some Jordans on or something, man? You can wear Seems Jordans with a suit these days. One hundred percent. Yeah. Some Air Force Ones. Uh, all right. So quickly with the cocktail party, and then a compliment for Auburn, and a question about Arkansas. I. I don't have a lot to say about the cocktail party. And the fact that I don't have a lot to say about the cocktail party feels like it is the story. That's the story. Cause I asked up and I said, what, when's the last time it didn't mean it meant this little. And he was like last year. <laughs> and that's kind of true. Yeah. They're a 22 point underdog. Florida's a nice amused bouche for Georgia. I know our sec audience knows exactly what that is. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a nice appetizer for Georgia to warm up for Tennessee because this is the start of the tough stretch for Georgia in their schedule. So I want to see them right. go down the field. How creative are you with those tight ends? Go down the field and get prepped for Tennessee next week. Yeah, I mean, it's I think I mean, Georgia is likely going very likely going to win this game. I don't think either of us feel that Florida really has a chance, but just it's it, it does feel less significant this year, this matchup. It's normally one of the more fun ones to talk about. There's a lot of excitement around it, whether it's just the traditions or the game itself. Um, if we're going to see if it's going to be interesting, it, 
Anthony Richardson is going to be pulling a lot of that weight, but it's just not. I mean, I, I, it's just we. I mean, we might find some things out about like what like Richardson's development or like what he can do, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be a close game. And I even so, feel like it's going to be ugly too. Like I think it could be like, like thirty-two to twelve. <laughs> I think it's something. gonna like, do, it's not even gonna be it's not even gonna be fun blowout. It's not it's gonna, gonna be, be an Florida ugly like finding out like it's not gonna be Florida losing, but finding out like a lot of really inf- like useful information about how they can move forward. It's gonna be probably <laughs> right. just exposing more weaknesses right. and it's just gonna be bad to be on tape. Yeah, kind of like the weather right now in Nashville. Right. Uh bad to be on tape. Uh so anyway, I just the fact that we've gonna do an hour plus show today. And the cocktail parties and the season. cocktail party gets a minute and a half at like you know, in after an hour of talk is just a statement of where how good Georgia is and the rebuild for Florida and Billy Napier. There's yep. just no question about that. But right. like you said, let's I hope that they can find some stuff out and learn some stuff. So we'll see. We'll uh, see. Quickly, quickly here, Arkansas and Auburn we will wrap up and then we'll send you on your merry way. Uh, first of all, a compliment for Auburn. And then a question for Arkansas. The compliment for Auburn is I think the players deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing. Because it makes no sense that Brian Harson's still employed. It makes no sense that they haven't made the moves. It makes no sense. And they played pretty hard against Ole Miss. Like they didn't quit against Ole Miss. They didn't quit. Like they they have not quit. And yeah. this is a this is a four point spread in a game that is normally very crazy. This is like the Bo Nix fumble game multiple times. Like it is just again, Vegas thinks Auburn's gonna play hard in this game at home against Arkansas. So I got I just eventually you just gotta say, like, you know what, players for the Auburn Tigers with all the craziness that's swirling, all the meetings that are happening in back rooms and all the internet rumors and all the garbage. Good for you guys for actually just giving a shit and playing hard every time. Like, good job. Good job. It's hard to maintain like mental stamina at this point when you know your program is falling apart kind in a way. I'm not saying that they have had, it could have been worse this season, but just with their head coach, they know he's, they know he's going to be gone. And it's just not the Auburn that they're used to being. It's hard to have for it's such a physical sport when you're giving up like your body, like your bodily well-being. It's hard to stay <laughs> motivated when you feel like, your you know, bodily well-being. I mean, yeah. I mean, what do you what do you, what should I call it? No, that's right. Your your, your personal, physical health that could personal worked. health and physical safety, health yeah. could have worked. Yeah. Um. It's just, I I think that is the the takeaway. I Arkansas, you know, I really hope that they're still on the right track. I think that I would have liked to have seen them be able to like pull some more stuff off this season. And I thought that they were on that, on that path. Um, but there's been some hiccups in the road, which I, I don't think that necessarily says anything about the longevity of whether or not Sam Pittman's going to work and um, the coaching staff that they have, you know, right now, it's just taking a little bit longer than the Sam Pittman obsessed people of the world wanted it to. <laughs> She points um, at her, as she points as her, at herself. I think it is a commentary on how hard it is to win, and I'm going to include Mississippi State in this okay. because they they have one of their better teams and are going to have a good year by the end of the the whole thing. And and Arkansas is probably going to have a good team most of the year. Both of those teams could win ten games in the ACC Coastal. Both of those teams could win ten games and win the Big Ten West. I I think it is a function of how deep and how difficult this league is when everyone is going the right way, Mm -hmm. because even when A&M is having all the troubles they had, they still, with a couple of lucky bounces, beat Arkansas. Right. Like LSU now is better, right? Automatically with with Brian Kelly. Like everybody, Tennessee's better now. Like Georgia's winning a national title. Like it is, 
it shows you how fine the margins are for a program like Arkansas and Mississippi State, where you can have really good quarterbacks, really good coaches, pretty darn good teams. Mm-hmm. And if you just like screw up like two Saturdays, you're going to end yeah. up being seven and five and feeling disappointed, even though you probably shouldn't be. Right. It's true. All of that. Yep. There I couldn't set it better myself. We love you, Arkansas. We love you, Mississippi State. Hang in there. It's a tough job. Tough to see. <laughs> it's a tough job. I think that's going to be a good game. Like it's a four point spread. Arkansas, Auburn, like Ole Miss, A&M. You got Kentucky. This is going to be it's a hell of a weekend. very, very passionate programs and passionate yeah. fan bases. So. Gonna be a lot of fun. Gonna be a lot of fun. Thanks for David Oven for joining us as well. Make yep. sure you sweet go go check out Jay Dunn. Jaydunn.com, of course, is the website. Make a good, smart career decision, unlike Jimbo Fisher, and do something that's going to benefit the long-term health and security, personal safety of your career, uh, personal health and well-being. Is that what you said about bodily bodily well-being. injury? Yeah. Jaydunn.com, man. Five billion. Also, annual. just cut. Just cut you off like crazy that's fine but here's the thing guys if you don't like whether or not i don't know what you want to do but if you are interested in going to a probably a pretty legit christmas party if you apply now you might get hired in time to go to jay dunn's christmas party and i bet they're gonna just it's gonna be off the charts those parties are so i've, I've been around them they're just saying good. if you don't care about your job fine but you might get to go to a really nice christmas party and but i don't and find, you know, personal growth and, and inspiration to continue busting your tail for your boss yeah, and employer. I mean, whatever floats your boat. Because they care about your career and the success and health and safety of you as well as an employee. JEDunn.com, $5 billion in annual revenue, offices all across the Southeast. If you're looking to make a career move or you're just not inspired or you just feel like you hate your boss, which is almost everybody, just check out JEDunn.com. I hate my boss and that's me jdunn.com go go check it out I, i'll be at jdunn here soon uh all right otherwise enjoy the weekend of football aaron where can people find you the aaron dugan on twitter and aaron underscore dugan on instagram you can get to me at braden gall youtube page rate review subscribe of course yep. 440 sports on the youtube and the twitters as well thank you guys all for hanging out with us thanks to david oven as well for aaron i'm braden have a great weekend everybody this has been fringe element here on the 440 sports network bye braden and other people